welcome, welcome, welcome. We want to welcome you to uh, January 26th. This is the last week in January, right? Uh, remember, I said this, I think the first week of January, that like January is only a trial month, right? So remember we said that about like New Year's stuff? So, so uh, I expect everyone to start getting their lives together by February. As soon as February hits, like that's when like we're in the full swing of things. Uh, I'm just kidding. I don't have my life together, so I can't, can't expect anyone else to do so. Um, but, but we are thankful because I think I think church is the place. I think the gospel is the place where if you don't have your life together, that's okay because the gospel isn't for people who have their lives together. All right, the gospel is not for people who are 100% perfect because people who are who are 100% perfect don't need the gospel. Right, but it's us. It's the it's the broken. It's the sinners. It's, the people who, who are finding confusion in the world, the people who, who don't have their lives together, those are the people that need the gospel. And that's every one of us, right? We're, 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 we're searching for something more and, and that more we find in Jesus. And, and that's part of why we, we have these three core beliefs at Sun Valley. We believe in, in, in growing faith, in building community, and most importantly, we believe in the hope of Jesus, the amazing promise that, that he will come again and that this world that we see here, the chaos that we find, it isn't the end, but it's this promise of, of God that is beginning to restore and renew the world and, and will eventually come back to, to bring us uh, to that place that he's prepared for us. And, and in this story, um, this story is really relatable to kind of the problems that we face here on earth. And, and, and last week, um, as I was planning last week's sermon, I was actually thinking like, oh, this is the end of our, of our journey through Numbers. We did, um, oh man, Numbers 11, which we did the, do you guys remember what we did in Numbers 11? I forgot to. Um, <laughs> we did, we did uh, the quail story the, where the people are begging for, for meat and God gives them quail. Then we did Numbers 22 uh, where God speaks through Balaam and we learned that God speaks. And, and as I was writing the sermon for Numbers 22, I, I just felt God really bringing us back to, to Numbers and really calling on my heart to do one more story. And, and so the story we're going through today is Numbers chapters 13 and 14. We won't be reading the whole, whole story, but we'll be reading most of Numbers 13 and 14. And, and this is the story where the Israelites, they've been traveling through the desert and, and they're, they're just on the cusp of the promised land. They're just at the edge. Like they've been traveling through all this time. They've made it out of Egypt. They've had all these amazing encounters with God. And, and God, remember Genesis chapter 12, when God promises this amazing promise to Abraham, he says, I will give you this nation. I will give you this people. And, and God fulfills his promise, right? God is, is about to fulfill his promise uh, according to the promise of uh, the covenant that God made with Abraham a couple of times. And the people are just on the edge of claiming this promise. They're there. They're ready. And, and, and God begins to speak to them. And this is Numbers chapter 13, starting from verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles with you, um, it'll be on the screen available for you to, to read along with us. So Numbers chapter 13, verse 1 says this. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. They're leaders of the Israelites. Um, two, of, two of those leaders important that we want to notice are Caleb and Joshua. These are some of the leaders that become the main leaders after Moses passes. And after Moses um, dies, Joshua and Caleb kind of take over Israel. So we're going to jump down to 17. We're going to skip the names of the leaders. Um, but Numbers 13 verse 17 says this, When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on, to, and on into the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, whether they're few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns 
Do they live in, are they, are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or is it poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best, he says, to bring back some of the fruit of the land, for it was season for the first ripe, ripe grapes. So they went up and they explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where, where Ahiman, Sheshai, Talmai, and the descendants of Anak lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zohar in Egypt. This might not be important to you, but they included it. Uh, when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and some figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites had cut off there. At the end of 40 days, in verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and to Aaron and to the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There, they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Okay, remember that before we continue in verse 27. Remember that the 12 people that, that God had chosen or that Moses had chosen um, were leaders of the Israelites. They were high-ranking officials in terms of the clans and, and the family groups. So they had a lot of influence on the people in the entire community. All right, so verse 27 says, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruits. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are, are of great size, they're giants. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. Um, side note, if, if you don't know what the Nephilim are, they're, they're these like race of like heroes and giants or whatever, Genesis chapter 6, unclear exactly what they are, but they're clearly um, kind of like huge. So like if you guys know the story of Gilgamesh or the Hercules, like these epic heroes, that's the lineage that, that, that they come from, according to legend, is the Nephilim. So what they're really saying is we saw these guys who are not just large and gigantic, but they're also powerful and, and, and heroic, and they're fearless, right? So that's what they're saying. So we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. And they said this, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Verse, chapter 14, starting from verse 1. It says, that night... All the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israel assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the entire Israelite community, to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, 
He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You see, the people, they'd come back, these 12 people, they had come back from exploring the land for 40 days and they brought back this report of the land. They saw that the land was good. They saw that it was fertile. They saw that the soil was perfect for cultivating crops. And they confirmed that it flowed with milk and honey, just as God had promised them. You know, milk is honey is this kind of symbolism of the fact that the, 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 the grass fields are perfect for, 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 for um, cattle, for, for sheep, for all this other stuff. And that the land is perfect for producing flowers that would provide uh, nectar and pollen for the bees. So it's this land of abundance. Everything is perfect there. Whatever you could possibly want, you'll find in this land. Um, and it was the perfect land for them. It was everything that God had promised them. He had, he had not misled them in any way. But they saw something else there. Because they didn't see just good land. They also saw giants living among the land. And they saw fortified cities surrounded by enormous walls that they'd never be able to penetrate, to climb over, to take down. And the people, the rest of the ten, who were afraid, began to spread a bad report among the community. Remember, they're influencers, they're leaders. And they start to say all these negative things and, and provide this negative mentality into people's minds so that they don't believe that they can do what God has promised that they would do. And they spread fear. And they said this. They said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. So our first lesson for today. Our first lesson is adjust your perspective. Amen. Adjust your perspective. Because listen to what they say again. This is their complaint. Their biggest thing is this. They say, the land is perfect. The land is awesome. Everything we could possibly want is in this land. But this is their complaint. Listen, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Two things we notice here in their complaint. The first, they seem like grasshoppers in their own eyes. Their opinion of themselves was that they were as insignificant as grasshoppers is, or as a grasshopper is to a human. That's what they said. They said, we're like bugs to these giants. We don't measure up. We don't even stand a chance. There's nothing we could do to defeat them. The estimation of themselves was based on how they felt they measured up to those giants. Second thing we notice about this complaint, and we looked the same to them. Anything interesting happening here? They said, we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Somehow, these 10 Israelites like got psychic powers and could read the minds of the giants they were looking at. Am I right? Because how did they know what they looked like to these giants? Did they ask them? Did they stop and have a conversation and be like, hey, what do we look like to you guys? And they're like, oh, you guys look like grasshoppers. Do you think that's what really went on? It's not a trick question. <laughs> the answer is no. That's not, there's no way 
There's no way they could have peered into the minds of the giants, into the minds of these people. They couldn't, they couldn't have known what these people were thinking. They, could have no, they couldn't have known what these people, what they looked like to their people. But, but their estimation, again, their estimation of themselves was not based on reality, but was based on how they felt they measured up to those giants. You see, God had promised them this land hundreds of years ago. And every time this promise is brought back up with Abraham, with Jacob, with Israel, every time this promise, or with Isaac, every time this promise is brought back up, God never once says, I will give you this land, but you have to take it for yourselves. God never says, I will give you a land flowing with milk and honey, but you're the ones who in your own strength have to conquer the giants, have to conquer your enemies, have to bring down those wells. You have to do it all. I'll just, I'll just give you the land. I'll tell you where to go, but you do it in your own strength. He never says that. Every instance of this promise involves God going ahead of them and preparing the land for them. God says, I will go ahead of you and I will prepare the land for you. And you see it through the, through the whole story of Exodus in Egypt. God doesn't say, go fight for your own freedom. I've heard your cries. Now just you've got to rise up and start a rebellion and overthrow Pharaoh and then leave. God doesn't say that. God says, I will come myself. I will stretch out my hand and I will do the work for you. That's what God says. And God provides these plagues, and God splits the sea, and God provides this pillar of fire to warm them, and this cloud of cover to protect them from the sun. Every instance of God leading them to the promise involves him doing the heavy work, him doing the hard stuff. And yet, they still can't focus on God's promise. Somehow they've lost God's promise. Somehow they've lost the reality of that. And when they go into the promised land, all they think of, all they think of is, is how are we going to do it in our own strength. How are we going to fight our way in? Because in their worldview, in their perspective, it demanded, their perspective demanded that in order for a land to be taken, one nation would have to conquer the other. That's the way they thought. Right? How can God give us this land unless that nation is conquered? So they begin to think, we have to do it on our own. It has to be our own strength. It has to be our own might. So when they explore the land of Canaan, from what perspective did they view the inhabitants of Canaan? They saw them as enemies. They saw them as rivals. They saw them as giants that they couldn't conquer. But what they didn't see is they didn't see a God who could conquer giants. They failed to remember how God had already blessed them before. They saw giants and they felt we have to conquer them ourselves. So they compared themselves to the giants and assessed their value based on that perspective. But sometimes we need to adjust our perspective. Because when we look at ourselves through our own eyes, we only see weakness. When we look at ourselves through our own eyes, we, we can see something small, we can see uh, helplessness, and, and especially when we compare our own size, which is small, compare it to something which is bigger, we can't help but feel helpless. And worse, when we look at ourselves through the eyes of our enemy, like they did, we can only see hopelessness, worthlessness, and weakness. And when we're facing the hopelessness of our present situation, when facing the difficulty of our problems, it doesn't help to view yourself from your own eyes or the eyes of our enemies. We need to adjust our perspective and see the way God sees us.
This is huge. Stop looking at yourself the way you see yourself and start looking at yourself the way God sees you. Because when God sees you, he doesn't see what the enemy sees. When God sees you, he doesn't see what you see. God sees you and he sees worth. God sees you and he sees a son and a daughter. God sees you and he sees a people he is willing to give his life for. That's what God sees when he sees you. When you adjust your perspective and see yourself the way God sees you, the way you see your problems begin to change. You guys get that? When you adjust your perspective and see the way God sees you, the way you see your problems begins to change. But the people, they were focused on the wrong perspective. And they rebelled against God's command to go in and take the land. And they planned to overthrow Moses and they planned to overthrow Aaron. But Joshua speaks up to the nation and he says this. He says, do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is God. And most importantly, he says, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them, he says. This is our second lesson for today. Focus on the problem solved. Focus on the problem solved. This is a little different. This is a little different than adjusting your perspective because adjusting your perspective is about seeing yourself and your worth through the eyes of God instead of your own eyes and the eyes of the enemy. But focusing on the problem solver is about switching your focus from the size of your problem to the size of your God. Stop focusing on your problem and start focusing on the problem solver. You see, the problem is of God is the same today as it was hundreds and, and thousands of years ago. God says, I will go ahead of you to repair the land. God says, on the road you're, you're walking on, on the, on the journey I'm calling you on, I go ahead of you to repair the road you're traveling on. And he says, you might see giants, you might see walls, and you might see fortified cities, and you might see problems that you might not be able to tackle on your own, but there are no giants that can challenge the strength of our God. There are no walls or barriers or borders that God can't break down. You see, when we focus on our problem, instead of focusing on the problem solver, we take away God's power to work in our lives, and we give it over to our problem. You know, instead of having confidence in God's power to help us overcome our problems. We put our confidence in our problems to overcome us. Do you guys get that? Because when we stop focusing on God, we take away the power of God in our lives and give it over to our problems. That's what we do. We say, God, you can't help us. God, you're not strong enough to conquer our problems. When we focus only on our problems, that's what we're saying to God. God, you can't do it. I have to do it on my own. That's not the kind of God that we serve. God is not a God who is powerless. God is a God who is powerful. And instead of having confidence in God to overcome in our lives, we, we put our confidence in our problems to overcome us. And it becomes this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy because we become bound to failure when we let potential failure bind us. We become bound to failure when we let potential failure bind us. And if you read the story 
of the conquest of Canaan, the rest of the story after the 40 years in the desert, um, you'll read that they fight their way to the promised land. And, and what happens at the end of this story is that God tells them this. He says, the consequence of the faithlessness, unfortunately, is for you to wander the desert for another 40 years before you get to cross the Jordan into Canaan. And, and, and at first, remember, the Israelites, they cried out. They said, like, no, there's no way we can defeat these giants. We, we just can't do it. There's no possible way. And then God says, okay, well, unfortunately, that means you're going to have to wander the desert for another 40 years until we bring you back to the situation. And then the people say, um, we're kind of reading ahead, summarizing the rest of the story. The people say, no, wait. We don't want to wander the desert through 40 years. We actually can do it. And so they go on ahead and they, they travel into the land of Canaan and they fight and they fight without God. Because God says, no, he says, we're not doing it this way anymore. We've got to wander the desert for another 40 years until we bring you back to it. And God says, you guys can go ahead, but I'm not going with you. Not this time, not right now. And the, Can and the Israelites, they just get defeated. They go in without God and, and, and it becomes true. They can't conquer the giants. They can't fight these cities, and they get beaten back, and they have to wander the desert for another 40 years. But check this out, because this is interesting. This is Exodus 23. It'll be up here on the screen for you. This is just after they come out of Egypt. This is just after God has given them the commandments, and God is reiterating his promise to bring them into the promised land. And he says something very specific. Read this, Exodus chapter 23, starting in verse 23. He says, My angel will go ahead of you, and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, and the Jebusites. And he says, and I, he doesn't say you, he says, I will wipe them out. I will take care of them. And verse 28, skip down, it says, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation that you encounter. I will make all of your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites out of your way. He says, little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. That's how God promised to give them the land. And it's interesting because God never promised you'll have to fight your way in. In fact, God says, I will drive them out myself. He says, I will make them turn their backs and run. He says, I will throw them into confusion so that they run from you. I will send the hornet and my angel ahead of you to repair the land. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't even have to fight your way through. And God describes the conquest of Canaan not with violence, but through his peace. He sends for peace for the Israelites. He sent his angel ahead of them to drive them out. There's no sword involved, no destruction involved. They just get pushed out. But the people... They stopped focusing on God's promise and they focused on their giant problem before them. And they thought, surely we'll have to fight our way in. They forget the promise that God's going to do it for them. And they say, surely we have to take the land ourselves. Surely we have to fight the giants ourselves. And that's where they went wrong. They lost their focus. And then God sentences them for another 40 years in the desert. And they say, no, 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 no. We don't want that. Instead, we'll go up now. But the Ark of the Covenant doesn't go with them. God's presence doesn't go with them. God's blessing doesn't go with them. And they are brutally beaten back. They thought the only way we can conquer the giants in our lives is if we fight them ourselves. But that's not it. God doesn't say that. God says the only way you can conquer the giants in your life is if you focus on the problem solver instead of the problem. Oh, come. Guys. You guys are not excited. Because you guys never have problems, right? 
You guys don't face issues in your life. There's never temptations that you guys go through. You're never like, oh, wow, this is too much for me. You guys never feel that way? I don't know. I'm excited because I do. I face troubles all the time. I face stuff that I can't handle on my own. But this is amazing because God says, you don't have to face the giants on your own. I know that there's difficult stuff on the road ahead. I know that there's situations in your life that are going to seem impossible. I know there are going to be barriers and boundaries and walls that are going to be placed in front of you. And you're going to wonder, how in the world will I climb those things? How in the world would I get around it? How in the world will I continue on this path that God is calling me on if I can't conquer it myself? And God says, you don't have to. That's the whole point of being on God's road is that you don't have to conquer the giants. God does it for you. And when we put our trust in anything else but God, when we rely on our own power, when we insist on doing things our own way, failure becomes inevitable. And this is our third lesson here. Our third lesson is take his shortcuts. Take his shortcuts. You see, God had laid out this plan before them, and the plan didn't depend on their strength. The plan didn't depend on their abilities. The plan didn't depend on their power. God was going to pave the way to their blessings. God was going to do the work for them. But for some reason, we sometimes feel so intent on paving our own way through. Isn't that right? Sometimes we feel like, no, like, God, I got this. I'm going to do it on my own. Sometimes we feel like we don't need to rely on God and we'll just go through it on our own. And God never intended, Exodus 23, God never intended for them to fight their way through Canaan. God was going to do it all for them. God was going to send the angel ahead of them and they wouldn't have to lift a sword whatsoever. But the instant they got to the borders of the land, all they could think about was how are we going to fight our way through? All they could think about is how are we paving the road for ourselves? And they complained that they weren't strong enough to fight the giants. And they complained about traveling in the desert and went to fight without God, and they got defeated. And that was kind of the whole point of the story. That's the kind of the whole point of God's promise, is that they were never going to be strong enough. They thought, we're not strong enough. And it's like, yeah, you're not. You were never going to be strong enough. That's the whole point. You can't do it. But God can. That's the whole point of the story is that we're not strong enough sometimes, but God is. And God doesn't need us to fight our own battles because he can fight them for us. You see, every battle, every conquest, and victory that occurs later, after the 40 years in the wilderness, every fight that happens is not a result of them following God's original plan. Because sometimes we think that. Sometimes we think that God sent them in to just murder and kill everybody. But that's not God's plan. It wasn't a result of God's original plan. Rather, all the fights and all the conquests, all the fears and all the tears and everything else that happened after this was a result of the fact that they insisted on paving their own way. And God is such an amazing God that he says, even if you insist on paving your own way, I still won't abandon you. Even if you insist on doing it the wrong way, I still follow behind and try to bless you in whatever path you take. That's the amazing thing about God. God says, I will go with you no matter how you choose to go about things. You see, when we insist on going alone without God, we're bound for failure. 
when we insist on going along with our plans instead of going along with his plans, when we rely on our own strength instead of relying on his strength, we're going to find that we're going to be doing things the hard way. God doesn't want us on this convoluted journey. God doesn't want us circling forever and forever and forever. He doesn't want us going through things the hard way. God wants us to take his shortcut. And let me be clear about this, because sometimes God's way is not always going to feel like the quickest. But it'll be longer if we do it on our own. And you know, sometimes God's way does not seem like the easiest, but it'll be harder if we do it on our own. You know, whatever road or journey God asks you to go on, to embark on, he promises that he will send his angel ahead of you to prepare the blessings for you. You don't have to worry about conquering your problems because that's God's department. Through God, the giants will fall. Through God's strength, the walls will crumble. You know, when God is on your side, you cannot fail. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to say this. Failure is a result of our self-dependence. Failure is a result of our self-dependence. We fail when we rely on our own strength. When we fail, when we go up against our giants without God. And failures and setbacks are not the same thing. Keep that in mind. Failures and setbacks are not the same thing. A setback is when you get knocked down, but you keep moving forward. And when you trust in God's promise, no matter how large the problem may seem, no matter how strong the enemy appears, no matter how many times you get knocked down, the power of God in your life keeps you moving forward. Now, you might have setbacks, and you might have detours, but you cannot fail when God is in your corner. Take his shortcut. I invite the band to come on up as we as we conclude, you know, the whole promise of God was to deliver them and to bring them into the promised land through his time, through his power. And if your situation ever seems hopeless, if you ever feel like you can't do it, adjust your perspective. Stop seeing yourself the way the enemy sees you. Stop seeing yourself the way you see you. Adjust your perspective and see the way that God sees you. Because yes, on our own, we are weak. On our own, we are dirty and messed up and sinful. But the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is our strength. His sacrifice has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He has cleansed us. And we are worthy because God calls us worthy. Amen. We are strong because of his power in our lives. When our problems seem too big, focus on the problem solver. You see, you alone will never measure up, but it has never been about your strength. It has never been about your power. It has never ever been about the size of our problems. It has always been about the size of our God. You see, the Bible is not a book filled with saints and heroes. It's a book full of sinners who God used in powerful ways. It's a book full of the weak overcoming only through the power of God. Focus on your problem solver and stop insisting on paving your own way. Take his shortcut.
You see, God doesn't want us to struggle. God's plans for us include victory. And, and his way doesn't always seem the easiest or the fastest, but the alternative is 40 years in the desert. The alternative is doing it on our own, and doing it on our own is always harder and always longer than doing it God's way. And we sometimes think that God is just waiting for us to earn our way into the promised land, waiting for us to earn our blessings. But the truth is there is nothing that we could ever do that could make us worthy of all that God has for us. You see, God blesses us despite ourselves. God blesses us despite our natural unworthiness. And the amazing thing is that God doesn't leave us there. God says, I call you worthy. I have redeemed you and I have given you worth. And if you read the rest of the story, if you read the rest of the story, you'll read that the Israelites eventually do make it into the promised land. And unfortunately, it's because of their mindset. It's because of their mindset set on conflict that God has to work within that context to bring them deliverance through victory. But it took them an extra 40 years in the desert to reach what God had ready for them right then within arm's reach. You see, we are on the edge of God's promises. We are right at the cusp of entering into God's blessings. And we look at the road ahead and we see that it is full of obstacles, that it is full of problems, that it is full of stuff that we might not be able to conquer on our own. But the question is, where is our focus? How do we determine our value? Are we gonna follow God's path or demand our own? Because you see, God's blessings are ready. They're here, they're now. But how long the journey takes to those blessings depends on us. Depends on whether we trust ourselves or put our trust in God.